Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Toby. We're the co-founders of Ask Us For Ideas, or Alfie, as most people call it, where we help the world's most ambitious businesses, large or small, to connect with a collection of the best and most exciting creative agencies from around the world. We're finally capping off Series 2 of Private Views after a wholly unexpected COVID-related hiatus, and nearly nine months later, we're more excited than ever to bring the podcast back. In this, our 10th episode, we cover why inequality and a lack of diversity is the most pressing issue of the day, not the pandemic, why and how the physical office will survive as the heart of creative work, and the final end of so-called blanding. Our guest is Fernando Music, founding partner at Mythology, the esteemed New York agency formerly known as Partners in Spade. Last year, after an incredibly successful 12 years, Partners and Spade's Andy Spade moved out to California to take his eponymous agency to new places, leaving Anthony Spaduti and Fernando Music to relaunch the New York agency. They saw this as an opportunity to take a moment, think critically about what they offer the world, and possibly set out on a new trajectory. What happened instead was more of a reaffirmation. Their approach has stood the test of time, and their new name mythology reminds us of what that approach is, creating a world of understanding through storytelling. I think that the most exciting brands haven't launched yet. I think the most exciting brands are kicking around people's heads right now. The truth is, mythology have done it all, and describing an agency of their magnitude in a few sentences is a near impossible task. They've built some of today's most well-known and disruptive brands, including Harry's, Peloton, Warby Parker and Hymns, as well as being the go-to agency for established heavyweights like Target, the Coca-Cola Company, Whole Foods, Tesla and Google. From a studio in London, our producer David Michon linked up with Mythology's Fernando Music in Manhattan. Mythology is is a new but not so new agency, um, a kind of evolution of, of partners in spades. So maybe you can talk about about that story, and particularly, you know, what you wanted to, you know, how you wanted to evolve. Uh, kind of what the agency was into what the agency is today and maybe what differences there are or what uh, kind of core elements maybe you decided to to kind of keep and build on. Kind of the, you know, the the long shadow of, of Partners in Spade, I think, was cast in the very earliest days of the studio. Um, Partners in Spade, I think, was really a, a, a catch-all in a certain way for all sorts of creative endeavors. I don't think that it was really built around the idea of being in the service industry. And it certainly wasn't built around the idea of being a full service agency. It was a catch-all. It was a, it was a gallery. Uh, it was a book publisher, uh, made some movies. So it was kind of uh, mold-breaking in a certain way in that it was just this this studio that was built for creative pursuits. Uh, and I think that's the, you know, that was like the foundational beginnings of of Partners in Spade. Um, Partners in Spade had been around for about 12 years, started by two creatives. Um, and I'd been managing director and uh, helped kind of run the studio for, I guess, coming up on a little over eight years. Um, and we started to shift away from, you know, let's just call it creative pursuits to focusing a little bit more on on working with brands really on the service side. Um, and, but we took a lot of those really early learnings and built them into uh, the service that we provide to our partners. 
Did you, I mean, as a company, you know, as a design firm that's in the practice of helping people establish or uh, rebrand brands, did you learn any lessons from your own experience taking Partners in Spade and moving it into mythology? Yeah, I I think that we really, I think we codified and we formalized our, our, our approach, but more than our approach, really our offering. I think, you know, in the earliest days of starting any pursuit, I think it's about its potential. It's about what you believe it could be. It's about what you want to achieve. And I think as you start to mature, you have a little bit more perspective because you can look in the rearview mirror and you can string together a narrative. And for us, that narrative um, is... Uh, is is very clear, and I think that we've built a practice, we've built a team um, to do exactly that kind of work. And I think that we're really, um, I would say, like disciplined about the kinds of projects that we take on. And I think you know we can be. I'm incredibly transparent about what we're best at, and 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 we take on only the things that we can be really good at. Um, and I. What think are you best at? I think that we're best at um, employing kind of uh, a curiosity to really look at brands, look at culture, look at our founders, look at what the ambition of the brand really and truly is, and go incredibly deep and uh, reflect that back for the brand in communication. And and that can be at the highest level, um, you know, the platform for the brand that everything else is going to ladder up to. That biggest idea for a brand that is so sharp that it is something that they can use as a guiding principle, not just for marketing, um, but for decision making around, you know, staff and uh, business decisions. And, and I think that's what I would describe as the sharpest point of the spear. And I think that regardless of whether we're working on advertising, whether we're developing a brand from scratch, or we're working with a venerated brand, a brand that's been around for a really long time that's not being led by an existing founder, but rather, you know, a, 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 a CEO that's kind of come in to steward, you know, provide stewardship for the brand. Um, we're, we will... We need to understand what that biggest idea is, whether we define it and articulate it and invent it, you know, in partnership with the brand, or it's something that is really clear from the brand that is being provided to us. We need to understand that first. That's the kind of first most important thing. And that's true for us, regardless of, you know, if we're doing uh, working on the brand um, or doing advertising and marketing or if we're even doing retail store design. Um, and then it's about how we creatively demonstrate that and how we can artfully um, reinforce that big idea through, through, through you know, storytelling. And it's kind of, you, you use it as a tool to kind of like filter your decision making around whatever that would be, like a physical store space or a digital space or branding? Always, yes. 
Uh, I mean, I guess to kind of like jump jump straight into it, I you know obviously we were kind of in the midst of a very kind of tumultuous, disruptive, also very interesting year um, for everyone, every industry, um, and I'm wondering, you know, kind of your your take on that kind of what's been happening with your brands, what kind of conversations you've been having with them. Um, of course, you work with a lot of very um, kind of uh, massive, uh, uh, kind of established corporate brands like Coca-Cola and tons of new kind of more startup brands, lots of very, you know, I don't know if this is dated, dated language, but kind of digitally native brands. So I'm sure that those conversations were all you know, you've had a lot of very different conversations with different clients, but wondering if you could kind of summarize, you know, what is it that that people were most concerned about, or what were you what were you kind of tasked with? Yeah, it's obviously been an incredibly trying time for for everybody in a bunch of different ways, and I think it's certainly started, you know, in the middle of March with COVID and and with this incredible pandemic that you know, shut every, absolutely everything down. And I think that there was, um, you know, first and foremost, a, just a, a scramble to try to understand and get bearings and figure out what this really meant for people. I think COVID has been um, interesting because I think that on a human level, it's forced uh, um, a- adaption. And I think to me, for me personally, I've seen this in a bunch of different ways. I think that we're an incredibly adaptable species. I think that everybody was, you know, just absolutely terrified for all the right reasons. Um, But then I think, you know, when I was walking around um, my hometown, Brooklyn, with, you know, with my mask on in June, I I saw that people weren't really as terrified as they were any longer. I think in the earliest days, there was just, you know, real fear. Um, and then I think it became clear that people were kind of figuring it out. And, you know, certainly those are those are the lucky ones, right, to be able to figure out how to adapt. I think the bigger issue that's kind of defined this time is less about COVID and more about, you know, the kind of inequality um, and 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 equality and, and lack of it that's kind of brought about because of the death of George Floyd and, you know, too many others to kind of name. I think that I think that that's been something that's been, you know, to use a, uh, you know, a, a really overused word. That's been the thing that's really been the most disruptive. And I think it's disruptive because I don't think that there's a lot of clarity on around on on exactly what to do. I think that um, I think that COVID, I think that it's like you kind of know what the path looks like for how to figure that out in a certain way. And I think everybody wants to work towards exactly the same thing. Um, And I think under really good leadership, I think that we'd have clear communication and that would set people's minds at ease. I think the lack of leadership currently is making it, you know, a lot harder than it really needs to be. But I think the issues around... Um, you know, social justice and 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 equality, I think, are quite a bit thornier. And I think that what comes with that is, you know, a history that's 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 you know too one sided, and um, a tremendous amount of really justified anger and um, a polarization in the way that people see it and think about it. And I think that that just makes I just ma- that makes this issue quite a bit harder. 
Um, and it's, 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 so I would say that that's one of the biggest issues that I've seen in speaking with brands, whether they're really big legacy brands um, or they're, um, you know, kind of call it um, early mature, you know, startups, or they are founders that I'm talking to now that haven't yet figured out what their brand is. I think that, you know, the issues um, around social justice, I think, are are the ones that are most defining of our time. And, you know, I think, it, uh, I, and I'd like to kind of turn this also to, to kind of the design industry as well, but is the question really that people want to to kind of find a way to embody, you know, diversity authentically, kind of allow that to be part of the DNA of, of their brands without it seeming tokenistic, um, you know, trying to maybe communicate that there has been a change within their, within their company, for example, without it seeming too reactionary and, uh, and, and just, to, just to kind of like satisfy the moment. Yeah, I think it's really hard to turn around an entire organization and a way of thinking. And I think what you're talking about, tokenism, you know, virtue signaling, whatever, you know, whatever it is, I think this is a time when Brands have to be brands and leaders and us as individuals, as a nation, as a people, as a species, like have to be courageous and have to be brave um, in, in, in making some real changes. And those changes, I think, really are going to look like, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to look, they're going to look systemic. They're going to look, you know, incredibly big, I guess, um, speaking only, you know, for 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 ourselves for mythology for myself i think that we're pretty focused on the things that we can really do i think that we have a pretty anchoring premise around um you know kind of being about it not talking about it i think that our our you know the best reflection of who we are is what we've done and i think it's not about you know what we what we talk about too much i think that we're 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 we want to kind of put stuff out in the world so you know we've been working on a few things um we we're a small team um and so we can work to be more reflective um of the world that we want to see internally um with hires and 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 such um and but i think where we have probably a bigger opportunity for impact is the influence um, and what we can kind of do in, in the world. So I think there are a few different things that we've done, you know, just in kind of little ways we've, you know, formalized a, you know, pretty interesting program, um, through RISD, an internship program, um, through the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, you know, to bring people into the studio, um, and introduce them to what we've, what we're, what we're doing. And, and obviously that's at a kind of a, a more junior level, but we're working to bring more uh, people in at a, at a senior level and, and have more representation. Um, but we're also working in a way that we think will affect some kind of positive change on actually a couple of, a couple of efforts. One, um, with, a with a longtime kind of collaborator, um, founder of one of the 
brands that we've been working with for a while um, on a uh, almost uh, ready-to-be-announced effort to um, cultivate talent, um, uh, BIPOC talent, um, at more senior levels inside of the tech space. And then another project that we're working on um, that's a project of our own making, um, which is actually a joint venture with another longtime collaborator, um, the firm uh, Daris, um, called Project Mercury. And we launched Project Mercury last year um, as a way of um, joining forces, a joint venture, as I said, between Daris and Mythology, where we provide services to an entrepreneur, uh, branding uh, all of the work that we do, and Daris uh, helps with uh, all of the things that they are are best at in you know in the world, PR and uh, and helping with strategy and kind of messaging. Um, and so we, I would say, kind of work on that upfront part, and Daris kind of takes and then helps build that brand over the course of the next year through you know PR and and stewardship. Um, and you know, rather than taking fees, uh, we take a portion of equity in in those businesses. We've collectively been a part of a bunch of brands and built a lot of equity for you know four founders, and you know built, built a, a number of really good brands. And we were really um, excited to see some some new entrepreneurs and 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 you know work together to help build some brands. I think um, we launched that business last year. Uh, Project Mercury, that uh, that venture, um, and then in the beginning of the year, when all of the you know the world kind of went came came crumbling down and crashing down, we really saw that there was an opportunity to change Project Mercury, um, and so rather than just entrepreneurs um, in general, we really saw that there was an opportunity because of the lack of opportunity for Black entrepreneurs and founders, and have shifted and put the focus entirely on first time Black. Uh, founders um, and entrepreneurs. Yeah, and you know, I think it's it's um, what seems kind of very different about this moment in terms of thinking about kind of diversity um, in the within the industry um, or in general is that previously, you know, I think it was a lot about you know it was a lot about visibility. There were efforts to kind of like diversify, kind of model casting or, or kind of spokespeople. Um, of certain brands, and now there's a there's a real sense that it goes quite deep. Yeah, and you know, with a lot of the brands that we work on, a majority of their audience is is diverse, and when you look at who's making the work, that it needs to reflect that, and and I think you do that exactly kind of to your point by really having you know voices. Um, and 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 people who have a real seat at the table, and um, those are some of the changes that that I think absolutely have to happen. I wonder if it kind of puts into question to a certain extent, you know, maybe a kind of dominant uh, taste that has been kind of at play, um, maybe within the kind of, you know, what what are perceived as the leaders of the graphic design agency or branding worlds um, that's very informed by, you know, a kind of European kind of Swiss modernism. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of infiltration of, of that kind of perspective and aesthetic um, which of course is like tied to, you know, the history of those those places that is then divorced from the history of kind of other people in other places. I'm wondering if you, you're kind of questioning t- taste, 
good taste or quote unquote bad taste? I th I think that's an interesting question, and I think that our time demands change fundamentally, kind of at every level. And I would put I would throw design in you know into that. Um, you know, when we started thinking about um, you know talent, um, we started thinking about looking in places where we haven't usually looked, right? So if you're looking for a graphic designer, I would say five years ago, you're going to a handful of places, right? Um, a handful of agencies where people are practicing, um, a handful of, um, you know, uh, places, you know, universities and, and, and uh, places of kind of higher education, um, a couple of different, you know, degree programs. And I just don't think that that's where we're looking anymore because that's not, I don't, I, I just don't think that it's, it's as traditional as it always was. For me, the energy is always with the youth, always, always, always. Um, and I think that the most exciting brands haven't launched yet. I think the most exciting brands are kicking around people's heads right now. And, you know, those are the brands that will be born of this time and born of 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 a of a different kind of place. And um, I hope that they look wildly different. You know, there's a lot of talk in the world about, you know, let's call it blanding. And, you know, we're we're, um, you know, we're definitely guilty of contributing to that, um, having kind of worked on a bunch of those brands. But I think that um, our time really demands some 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 texture and some and some character and um, some richness and some humanity. And I think that a lot of the you know the brands today that um, aesthetically work off of a formula. Um, I, I just think that there's a, you know, people I think crave something. And I think that, I think that as humans, we really need something that's a little different. You're listening to Private Views and our interview with mythology partner, Fernando Music. We want to take a moment to tell you about the next series of this podcast, which will flip the coin and focus on the perspective of the leaders and founders behind some successful brands new and established, how they view the role of creativity in communication and the impact of getting it right, coming spring of 2021. Yeah, uh, you kind of mentioned blending, and I'm just wondering if maybe you had some thoughts on, on kind of how that how that how that happened sure. um you know obviously there are kind of trends in design of course but you know these are these are kind of like a, a, you know lots of kind of brands that people um kind of are aware of whether it's like what you know kind of casper mattresses or or warby parker or away or you know those those loads that are really great brands that people have engaged with but you know you kind of see something differently when you put them all side by side. And these are sometimes, you know, the products of lots of great, exciting agencies such as Mythology who give a lot of depth to their work. But but how did this kind of happen then? Well, I think that, I think it's the influence of, of, of money and growth and a particular way in which 
you know, brands can 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 grow. I think that the past handful of years, um, you know, performance marketing um, is a fantastic tool, you know, uh, to get to a kind of, uh, a, you know, a growth outcome. But I think that, you know, testing um, yields a certain kind of result. And if, you know, if growth is your primary goal, you're going to get to a place that that uh, performs the best, and um, and 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 what performs um, is the you know is the is the playbook that we've seen over the course of the past couple of years. Um, I think what's interesting, at least for us, is you know a trend that I've seen, and it's not just kind of pre-COVID, but it's also in the past, you know, six months, um, is a lot of the brands that you've mentioned have come to us um, and they they actually are trying to shift from that, that early stage um, where performance, you know, where they're really over-indexing on performance to... Um, uh, to being thought of as 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 brands in a in a at more at the anthemic level, more at the kind of the brand level, and a lot of them, I think, feel that you know what worked for them early on isn't working for them, and they need more depth, and they need to kind of you know, for lack of a better term, grow up a little bit, and and that might be you know, changing the way that they're perceived because they, you know, they look like a lot of their competitors or it might be because they've really only communicated, you know, in, in one dimension and they need to, you know, they they need to kind of push the guardrails out, um, you know, uh, for how, how they've really operated and more importantly, how they've kind of, how they're, how they're perceived. Um, you know, sometimes they're, you know, a little too focused on being just about a specific product and not about a bigger idea or a category. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's about expanding what it is that's really on offer, um, where they're introducing new products or new categories, um, and needing to actually message something that maybe previously wasn't as important, um, you know, as it is or will be in the future. And is it is it just that kind of um you know familiarity is is can be very seductive? I don't know that it's necessarily seductive as much as it is you know technology and launching a brand has kind of never been easier. And the 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 playing field has been kind of flattened in many ways and you have no clarity and no insight into um, into a brand and how big that brand is and how big that team is and how, you know, what the underpinnings of their business really are when a brand launches. And I think when you build a brand and it looks a lot like everybody else, kind of the benefit in a certain way of... Um, of the idea that the that brand is thought of in 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 a similar way, um, and so you almost get this you know this 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 lift 
um, or a charitable assumption is made, you know, about the brand that it is almost the same as the other ones if it looks the same um, or it's been around the same amount of time. And I think that that's part of, you know, that's that's part of the upside of the playbook, right? Um, yeah. So it's a kind of strategy. In I think sense. so. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, do we feel like blanding is kind of com- coming to an end now? I, do, you, do you think there's, you know, y- y- even just in the, you know, kind of mentioning some conversations you've been having that um, a lot of people are, are kind of like ready to find their own voice? I don't know if those, <laughs> that's maybe a kind of very uh, kind of flouncy way of uh, describing it, but to kind of find maybe something that's a little, that kind of, it feels a little bit more characterful given the context. Yeah, I think that's that's what's currently in vogue, right? I think that, that that's you know there's a there's a backlash to you know to to blanding. I would say that um, we at Mythology have had the same idea about brands for a very long time, and that is that they should chart their own course, and we should forge new territory for the brand. But I do think that we try to build brands that are kind of deeply investigated and, you know, chart some new territory and can become, you know, really ownable for those brands, both in terms of, you know, what they stand for, how they message it, and 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 how they show up um, in language and, and, and visuals. I also, I mean, this is a complete kind of change of, of subject, but I, I was also curious, you know, I think Having you know, having done, uh, having worked in several kind of creative agencies, and also uh, for private views, kind of visiting a number of different creative agencies, the environment in which people work and the dynamics of an office place are so important, um, or or play a really interesting role in terms of creative production. And I'm just curious, kind of over this past, you know, over these past few months, you know, how have you kind of adapted to uh, remote working or maybe you're kind of partially back in the office now or how do you view the the office place as a, as a kind of creative environment? Um, you know, I'm curious about all of that, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know, here we are now kind of seven months into it and the idea that things are going to go back to the way they were is gone. I don't think anybody believes that we are we are going to come out of this unchanged and i think how we work is is kind of on the table um we as a as a small privately held business have one office in you know in in manhattan and you know it's a big open office and uh we work collaboratively and creatively together, kind of all in the same room. And that isn't how we work today. And I think that for us, the office is going to continue to be important. We have no interest in abandoning our workplace. Um, I personally really love going into the office and I've never understood how much I loved it as much as I do now for having, you know, months and months and months of not being able to go into the office. Um, and what I realized about it, and it's, it's, it's something that has kind of come to me over the course of the past month, we opened up the office. I opened up the office a couple of weeks ago uh, for people to go in in a really safe way. 
um, you know, in small groups um, to use the office almost like an amenity um, because people might need a change of pace and a change of scenery, um, whether that's to get away from your roommate or, you know, or, you know, or your, or your parents or your kids or, you know, or whatever it is. And what it made clear to me was the, the, that change of scenery is, is wildly important. And, uh, you know, it isn't just the change of scenery. It's, um, uh, for me personally, I really, 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 um, think that the downtime, um, you know, that commuting time is really important, which is something that, um, during COVID we, we, we didn't have. And it, it, it dawned on me that without that downtime, when you're not looking at your phone, but maybe you're riding your bike or you're walking or you're on the train or whatever, you know, you're staring off in a middle distance and you're thinking about the conversation you just had, or you're walking from one meeting to another. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're having a conversation with somebody following a meeting that you just had. Like those things are incredibly important. And I think that that's where, you know, kind of some special stuff happens. And I think the office is a I think there's something built into the way that we work in offices that facilitates that. And what we've tried to do is create some of that stuff in COVID. We have always been a, a culture at mythology of working on site. And I think that this has proven to us that we can be, you know, we can, we can be really good um, working remote um, and I think that we'll probably continue to do some of that moving forward. But I think the office is still the beating heart of, of our creativity. Great. Fernando, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. That was producer David Michon speaking to Fernando Music, partner at Mythology. A big thank you from myself, Nick and Toby, for listening. Thank you also to Fernando for his time, to Sean Crook for editing this episode, and to George Grinling for the theme music. To find out more about Alfie, please visit our website, aufi.com. We're also on social media using the handle at askusforideas. And finally, please do share this episode, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and do listen to the others that we put out as part of this series. (laughs) 